Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Father, what a thrill it is for us to be together, to stand before you this morning to sing these songs, hymns, and spiritual songs to you and to one another, to encourage one another by being in this room together, by being tuned into this broadcast together, by sharing in this time of worship, to be encouraged by you, being in your, your presence, being in this room with us, with your Holy Spirit moving among us today. God, we thank you for this moment, this opportunity to praise you. God, we ask now as we turn to the pages of Scripture that you would speak to us, that these ancient words become alive to us today, that you would move in our, in our heads, in our hearts, move into our hands and feet, and God, teach us today how to love better. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you can be seated. And uh, thanks for being here today. Uh, let me also welcome you to Faith Christian. Uh, my thanks to those of you who participated in our worship choir this morning for helping lead us uh, in our time of worship today. Uh, this summer, and we're kind of wrapping up our summer together, we have been in a sermon series we've called Vintage. And what we've been doing in this all summer long, we've been looking at some of these familiar stories, some of these familiar uh, men and women from the Old Testament. The, that's the first part of our Bibles. The Old Testament and, and learning what, some life lessons, some things we can learn, things we can take home from these events and these, these people who walked on the earth thousands of years ago. Why does it matter to us and, and is it still important? In the last couple of weeks and this week and next week, what I'm specifically doing is looking at some of the really weird stories in the Bible because let's just be honest, there's some weird stories in the Bible. And some of these weird stories are some of the reasons that some of you want nothing to do with church. You're like, that's just too weird. There's no way I can believe that. That's just too weird. And some of you are like, I'm all in. I believe it, but I don't know what to do with it. So we're trying to figure out what to do with these weird stories. Before we get to today's weird story from the book of Judges, let me tell you one more just crazy story. I've done this the last couple of weeks. I don't know if this is true or not. It's told to me as a true story, so I have to assume it is, but I don't know. But it's a crazy story. Let me see what you think. So the story is there a group of college students who decided that they were going to, during the week of finals, go to a big concert just a couple of towns away. And so they got in the car, they rode to the concert, they were out all night, partying all night, had a great time at the concert, got back really, really late to campus, went to bed, slept through their final the next day. They all had the same class. So they slept through the final. So they get together. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We've got to have a story. We've got we to we figure out a way to do this. So together they go to the professor and say, professor, we, we had this horrible incident last night. We, we know we shouldn't have gone to the concert in the finals week, but we went to the concert, couldn't miss it. But on the way home, we had a flat tire. And we just, we, we were so, we didn't have a spare. And so we were stuck on the road in the middle of the night until someone, we didn't get back to the campus until this morning. We missed the final because we had a flat tire. Can we please make up the final? And the professor said, all right, since it was four of you, this group of you, I understand things happen. I'll let you make up the final. Be here today at one o'clock and you can take the final. So one o'clock rolls around. He sits the, all four of these college students in the, in the lecture hall to take their final, puts them in different corners of the room. They open up their final. The first question on the final, which tire was flat? <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but that's a good story, right? That's a crazy story. Well, that's what we're doing. We're looking at some of these really cool stories from the Bible that, that for some of us are hard to believe, 
For some of us, we're all in, but we don't know what to do with it, and we're trying to figure out what we're, going to, we're talking about that. What do we do with it? We're in this book, uh, specifically these last few weeks, uh, from, uh, from the Old Testament called the Judges. Let me just kind of recap where we are in Bible history. The period of Judges was a period of about 300 years where God's people were led by a series of judges. They had no king. God himself was their king. And they had, God appointed these judges to kind of rule over the people, help settle disputes, help lead sometimes into battle. And that's what these judges did. They provided leadership to keep the, God's people within the boundaries that God had set for them. But there was a problem with that. They were just like, the, just like us. They didn't always like to be told what to do. And we don't always like rules either, do we? And so because of that, they, they begin to rebel against God's law and do whatever they want to do. We've talked about this quite a bit the last couple of weeks. So this got them stuck in this, we call, I'm calling it the sin cycle. So they, they would be led by a judge. They would rebel from what God wanted to do, which of course would create a chaotic moment in their lives, some kind of tragedy, some kind of crisis. And in the middle of the crisis, they would cry out to God, God, save us, God, save us. And God would step back in and save them. And this, during this 300-year period of time, this happened over and over again. During that time, God would bring about these judges to step in, provide leadership to them on how to be delivered, how to protect themselves, how to follow after God. And it's during this time of the judges that we find some of our crazy, crazy stories because these people get into some crazy, crazy decisions. And they begin to deal with not just a sin cycle, but they begin to deal with a cycle of regrets. They regret the poor decision they made because now they're dealing with the consequences of that decision. You know what that's like. I know what that's like. Do you know when we experience that the most? I think it's when we eat. But let's be honest. Oh, I shouldn't have had that tonight. Oh, it was so good. Oh, but I shouldn't have had that. It's, it's bad for me. Okay, just a little bit. All right, maybe seconds. Let me, well, we can't just leave that one little piece of the pie there. Let me just finish the whole thing. And the game we play with ourselves is, and you've been there, it was so good. It tasted so good. But now 90 minutes later, it hurts so much. You've been there. We have those regrets. We do the same thing when we spend I shouldn't buy this. I shouldn't buy this. I don't really need this, but it's on sale. Okay, I'll get it. And now you're stuck with closets and garages full of stuff you never use or never wear. And somewhere in there, there's one of those singing fish and a thigh master, and we have those regrets. I cleaned out my garage this weekend too. All right. Some of you did this when you were dating. I shouldn't have gone out with him. I shouldn't have gone on that second date with her. I shouldn't have called him back. I shouldn't have seen him. I should have, shouldn't have stayed. And we live in this cycle of regret. Here's our problem. We don't know how to get out of it. And so we keep making the same bad decisions over and over and over again. You ever wonder sometimes why you can't get out of your own way? This is why. This young woman by the name of Tyndale Baldwin, she wrote a little book called Popular. Great book if you have teenage daughters especially. In this book, when she talks to teenage girls, she asks this question, and it's the question that I want to put to us today as we read another one of these crazy stories from judges. I think this question says so much about the struggles inside all of us. And the question is this, what do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong. 
It's a deep question. Now, you, you don't have to be a teenage girl to know, what this, to know this question. We've all wrestled with this. What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? For some of, this, this, some of us, this happened with a group of friends. For some of us, it happened on a business trip. For some of us, it happens every time we're alone with a computer late at night. And there's something in your mind that says, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And you don't know if it's your conscience, you don't know if it's God, you don't know if it's your mom's voice in your head guilting you from years ago, but there's something saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. I don't want anybody to know. I hope no one knows. This isn't the story I want to tell. What do you do when your body wants, or what your mind knows is wrong, what your heart knows is wrong? Here's the thing. We don't have to be religious to know that the answer to this question has huge impact and ramifications on our life. The decision you make at that crossroads can have implications for the rest of your life. That's why this question is so big. And that's why the story that we're going to talk about today from the book of Judges has so much to say about this issue. What do you do when your body wants what your heart and your mind knows is wrong? Well, God brings about these judges for his people in this period of history, and they are to be, these judges are to be a reflection of God to the people. And the judge that we're going to talk about today is this guy named Samson. Now, Samson is a familiar Bible character. You may have heard him before, especially if you grew up reading the Bible stories to your, or your mom read the Bible stories to you before you went to bed, or you grew up going to VBS or, 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 or Sunday school. This is a familiar story, this guy Samson. He's the guy, he was really strong, kind of this Arnold Schwarzenegger type, had all the long hair, kind of a tough guy, and that's why we like his story. It's why it's easy to teach the kids. We like this, this imagery of this big, strong guy, guy that God is using to do things for him. Well, here was the idea, God's idea for Samson. As much as Israel, that's God's people, were to be a reflection of God's power in the world, Samson, their judge, was to be a reflection of God's power to his people. In other words, as God's spirit would rest on Samson, and he was able to do these miraculous feats of strength, big time, this is incredible Hulk stuff that he does, all right? As God's spirit rests on him, and he's able to do these amazing feats of strength that the people can see, the people of God would look at Samson and go, wow, he's strong. And if he's strong, now I know how much stronger God is because God is enabling him to do all these things. He is a representation of God's strength to the people. The problem is, Samson's issue here is, Samson does not always represent God well. In fact, this is one of the reasons that I believe the Bible to be true. Because if you're making up a religion and you're writing a book about it, a book that's going to be the foundation for your religion, you don't put stories like Samson's in the book because Samson is a hot mess. And he makes all kinds of bad decisions that lead to his own destruction. And the reason that we need to talk about his story is because he was a reflection of the times then, and he's a pretty good reflection of the times now. And the decisions that you and I make in these cycles of sin and these cycles of regret that we just can't figure out how to get out of. All right, so here's his background. Samson, his parents are approached by uh, an angel, and they tell them, you're, you're going to have a son, 
But this son's not going to be just an ordinary kid. He's going to be this gift from God that will one day lead his people. And he's going to take, and this is the important part of Samson's story we need to know, he's going to take a Nazarite vow. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the details of this. Here's what you need to know to get through today's story about the Nazarite vow. What this means was if you take a Nazarite vow, it means you stay away from wine. You never touch anything that's dead. It's a thing. And most importantly for a Samson story, you never cut your hair. That's why he had the long hair. So to take the Nazarite vow, you never drink, you never touch anything that's dead, and you never cut your hair. Most people who took the Nazarite vow would take this vow in an effort to get close to God. So you're growing up and you say, all right, I'm going to take this Nazarite vow because I need to get close to God and I'm going to do it for like 30 days. So for the next month, I'm not going to do these things. For the next three months, I'm not going to... That's how most people did this Nazarite vow. In an effort to get close to God, they would not do these things for a period of time. Samson's different. This vow is put on Samson before he is born. So he has it his entire life. But the angel says to his parents before he's born, if he does this, if Samson does this, he will have remarkable strength and God will use him to do some amazing things in this world. So Samson grows up, he's taken this vow, he's got the long hair, he's big and muscular. About the time he's probably about 17, 18 years old, about a senior in high school, he goes down with his other teenage friends to the borderlands, the border towns of of their their country, their nation, and and the next country. And he goes down there to defend the nation against the Philistines, that's the enemy. They're at war with the Philistines, just seemingly like all the time. And so Samson goes down there, he's 18 years old, 17 years old, goes down there with a group of friends to help defend his country. And while he was down there, in the army basically, they, people begin to figure out there is something really special about this guy, Samson. Something very unique about this guy because he is incredibly strong. Now, when you see the TV movies about Samson, or if you grew up with the picture Bible, or you did the flannel graph in Sunday school, we always portray Samson as some big, muscular dude. Conan the Barbarian, Incredible Hulk, I even used that metaphor a minute ago. That's the picture in our head of Samson, just this massive dude. But when I think about it, I'm not so sure. I'm not sure Samson was all that big, because when you see the Incredible Hulk... When you see Thanos, right, you kind of expect them to be strong. You expect them to be able to knock things down. But everybody, when they saw Samson do things, they were amazed by his strength. And I, I, I think maybe he was just kind of a little runt. I think maybe he looked a little bit more like, well, me. <laughs> if I were to, you know, go back there and pick up the piano and throw it at you, you would be like, whoa. I didn't think that guy could pick up the water bottle. How'd he do that? And so I think maybe he was just a little more runty, a little more wimpy looking. And that's why when he did these amazing feats of strength, people were like, wow, there's something special about him. There's something unique about them. I think he looked pretty normal, but when he did these amazing feats of strength with his ability, God's spirit would rest upon him and he would do these things. Well, here's Samson's issue. He's got this great gift, he's got this great opportunity, but he also has a weakness. Here's his weakness. You ready? Samson really, really liked girls. Really, really, particularly Samson liked the Philistine women, the nation that they were at war with. 
And oftentimes, while he was out patrolling the borders, he would run down into the Philistine towns for late-night hookups with the Philistine women, and this began to get him into a lot of trouble. Not only was it disobedient, it was dangerous. Listen to one of his first run-ins with, uh, with, with Philistine women. This is from Judges 14. One day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. Things worked a little different than just, wait, we don't have time to deal with this. Can you imagine saying that to your parents? This phrase caught my eye. Hold on to that phrase for me today. Caught my eye. This is so key because the eyes are going to be Samson's problem his entire life. And often this is our trouble too. Something catches our eye and we can't stop thinking about it. What do you do when your body wants what your mind and heart know are wrong? So much so that he goes to his parents and he says to his parents, get this woman for me. I don't care that we're at war with them. I don't care that it's dangerous. I don't care that you would risk your life to make this happen for me. You go down there, you work the deal with her parents because I want to marry her. Watch how his parents respond. His father and mother objected. Good, they should. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites that you could marry, they asked? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? This is such a good mom and dad answer. Like, you mean there's not one good Jewish girl in the whole town? <laughs> now, this part about, we need to understand this, so this is real quick. This part about the, the, the pagan Philistines, this is not an interracial thing. This is an interreligion thing. Because when you would mix religions, you brought your gods and your idols and your beliefs and your, your worldview, all of that together. It'd be a little bit like someone who graduated from Ohio State marrying someone who graduated from Michigan. You're mixing your beliefs, you're mixing your fight songs, you're mixing up your t-shirts, it's just a mess. So Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good. To me. Now we kind of chuckle about this phrase. But this is basically the same kind of phrase that we read at the very end of the book of Judges. I shared with this verse with you a couple weeks ago when we started this part of the series. The very last verse of the book of Judges says, In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Coming back to eyes. And that's where it begins. What do you do when your body wants what your heart and your mind know is wrong? Fast forward a few years, and a bunch of Philistine women later, until finally the whole story of Samson slows down into one story between him and one woman, this woman by the name of Delilah. You maybe have heard her name as well. Now, when I tell you the story of Samson and Delilah, when we read through this and we talk through this story in a minute, you're going to be thinking, how can anybody be so stupid? How in the world? Ladies, some of you are going to be thinking, how could any man be so consumed with a woman that he behaves so crazy? I mean, do men really get so obsessed with a woman that they become stupid when it comes to women? Yes. Yes. You, you know the answer already. Yes. The answer is yes. Guys, we know this is true. 
We have spent money we don't have. We've taken trips we don't need to go on. We've said things we don't even mean just because we are crazy about a woman. And ladies, you're not off the hook either because you believe us. (laughs) You believe the stupid things we say. You believe the crazy things that we come up with. Well, Samson meets this girl named Delilah, and that's all he can think about. Let's pick up the story in chapter 16, verse 4. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. Now, this is not a one-night stand, which was kind of different for Samson. This is not a late-night hookup. He falls in love with this woman. He thinks, she's the one. She completes me. She's the one, all right? Look what happened. Verse 5. The rulers of the Philistines went to her, to the enemy, Samson's enemy, right? Philistines, okay, that's where she's from. The rulers of the Philistines went to her. They figured this out. They know Samson's got a weakness. It's Delilah. So they go to Delilah, and they said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. In other words, we want to capture this guy. He's our enemy. He's been thwarting all of our plans. And every time we try to take him out, we fail. He's too strong. Figure out the secret of his strength. And they use this word entice. The word literally means to lure something or somebody like you would lure a fish. It's it's use something shiny, something seemingly good to hook them and then to kill them. That's the the idea here. And then they promise Delilah, if you do this, we're going to give you about the modern day equivalent of about $100,000. So Delilah begins her pursuit of Samson. Listen to how this goes. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. I told you, you're going to think, how could anybody be so stupid? But let me say this. I don't think this was a conversation over dinner. You with me? Wink, wink. You, You with me? And in the throes of passion, Samson begins to talk. But he doesn't completely lose his mind yet. Look what he says. Verse 7, Samson replied, If I were tied up with seven new bowstrings that have not yet been dried, I would become as weak as anyone else. Now, I know that he's not telling her the truth here, but there's something inside of all of us. Oh, Samson, don't even flirt with danger. Don't even flirt with that. Don't do it. You were set apart by God as somebody special with God's plans for your future. Why would you want to be just like anyone else? Why would you want to give up who you are and, and the special ability you have for, for whatever it is your body wants in this moment? Why would you even flirt with that? So she tries this. Watch what happens. So the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings. She tied Samson up with them. She had hidden some men in one of the inner rooms of her house, and she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it is burned by a fire, so the secret of his strength was not discovered. Afterward, Delilah said to him, You've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now please tell me how you can be tied up securely. Do you see the markers here of a great relationship already? There's manipulation, there's lying, there's trickery, and now there's guilt trips. Yeah, I know I tried to have you killed, but please tell me the truth. Samson replied, if I were tied up with brand new ropes that had never been used, I would become as weak as anyone else. So she tries it. Same thing. Here come the Philistines. He breaks the the, the ropes, runs them off. Here she goes again. I can't believe you won't tell me the truth. So he says, if you weave my hair into a loom 
So sure enough, he wakes up, his head is sewn into the carpet. I mean, it's woven into a loom. If any of you got that reference, you get a bonus point today. Here comes everybody. He fights them all off. Well, now she's had it. Verse 15. Then Delilah pouted. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. Verse 16. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. I'm not even going to get into that. That's a whole other sermon series. We'll just leave it there. But notice, ladies, you have no idea the power you have over us. Nothing has changed in 3,500 years. And finally, she wears him down and guilts him to the point where he says, verse 17, finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. It took some time, but he finally tells her, I've never had a haircut, and if, I, if that were to happen, my strength would leave me. So the next thing you know, he's passed out, and when he wakes up, the hair is gone. Look at the result, verse 20. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. Isn't this so much like us? We keep making the same mistake over and over and over again. We think, I know how to get out of this. I know what to say. I know what to do. It'll be fine. I'll do what I did before. But one day we wake up and we realize that the Lord's blessing has left us. Many of us know exactly what that feels like. And that's that cycle of regret that we find ourselves trapped in. Look what happens to Samson, verse 21. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. We're back to the eyes, which have been the source of all his problems. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze, chain, bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. And although Samson will later have one more last feat of strength, which will end up taking his own life, he dies a slave. He dies in chains. He dies filled with regrets. Now, I know anytime we talk about what the Bible has to say about sexuality, there's this feeling that many of us have, well, that's so old-fashioned, that's, that's so, so many years ago. I know that in our culture there's this sense of, I am above all of that. I can have an affair and it doesn't bring consequences. I can have an open marriage and it won't be a problem. I can have pornography in my life and it won't be an issue. But listen to me. All this does is lead us to becoming like Samson a slave to our regrets. We tend to think we are above these silly rules that we read in the Bible, but they are not there to rob us of our joy. They are there to protect our lives. And when we overstep God's boundaries, we always end up a slave to our regrets. And even more than that, Samson gave up on God's future for him. He exchanged God's future for him by, for, for his own feelings, 
for his own desires, for what his body said he wanted and needed instead of what his heart and his mind told him were wrong. Maybe for some of you, this is not an issue of sexuality, but it's an issue for you instead of anger. Maybe the issue for you is bitterness or greed or rage or jealousy or honesty, integrity, or... And you know what it's like to be stuck in a cycle of regret that's left you a slave to those things. And you want to be free. You don't want to be a slave to that anymore. You want to restore your marriage. You want to restore your life. But you're just not sure how. But you know you don't want to end up like Samson who dies a slave to his regrets. Well, the good news is there's a way to break free. And it starts with something as simple as saying, instead of doing what is right in my own eyes, I'm going to do what's right in God's eyes. I don't care how old-fashioned it sounds. I'm going to trust that he knows what's best. And listen, folks, that's a learning curve. You're not just going to figure this out like that. It's a learning curve. That I'm going to trust It's a lifelong process to trust that God knows what's best. It continues on when letting some other people in on the conversation and you find some trusted friends, maybe a counselor, maybe someone you can sit down and trust and you can share what you're going through with and they can be there for you and they can pray with you about how can I break free from this? I want to be free from my slavery to my regrets and my guilt. And this is the really cool thing. You remember how the Spirit of God would come on Samson so that he had these amazing acts of strength? That's when the Spirit of God was, was with Samson, that's why he could do all these things? Well, the Bible tells us that when we decide to follow Jesus, when we are baptized into Jesus, that same Spirit of God takes up residence in our lives. And though it may never give you supernatural strength physically, and it probably won't, it can spiritually. And it can break you free from your slavery to sin and to your regrets. There is a freedom that you can experience today. One that cost Jesus his life so that we could be free from our sin and regret. And that's something all of us want. And that's a freedom that all of us need. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask our communion team to go ahead and take their places get ready to serve us. God, as we sit here as people who have had moments in our lives that we've done what's right in our own eyes and we've paid the price, we've lived with the consequences. God, I know there are some marriages here today that are trying to work their way out of a situation where somebody thought they were above the rules. I know there are individuals here that are trying to work their way out of of a slavery to a regret of something that happened years or decades ago. And there are some of us here that are trying to figure out what to do with a regret that happened just a few days ago. So God, I pray over these next few moments that you would just impress upon us how deep your love is for us. That you would allow your son to die in our place on a cross so that our sin could be paid for and we would not have to die as a slave to our regrets. 
God, we want to be free. And we want to know that freedom that can be found in you. And we want to know that that spirit of you that lives in our lives, that gives us the strength to do what our heart and our mind knows is right. So God, over these next few moments as we take communion together, would you just impress upon our hearts your incredible love for us that reaches beyond and through all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our regrets, and tells us that we are loved. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.